Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. It is episode 232. Wow. (laughs) Right off the bat here. Uh, Yeah, I should probably redo that. All right. Ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is episode 232. We're recording this live on January 20th, 2022. Lots of twos in there. And this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey, good evening. Hey, good evening. We do have a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about living your entire life in the metaverse. And later, we're going to take some of the questions from the community about whether or not you want to attend accredited versus non-accredited HFES master's programs, uh, whether or not job titles are truly important, and uh, let's talk about statement of purposes. That's that's also an interesting topic. But first, uh, just a quick community update. We are still um, taking applications for the Human Factors Cast Digital Media Lab. If you are interested in that, uh, please let us know. Reach out to us, and we'll be happy to have a conversation with you about what the lab can do for you. Uh, all right, we know why you're here. You're here for Human Factors News, so let's go ahead and get into it. Yes, we have quite the interesting story this week. Barry, why don't you break it down for us? So the story is experts say people will soon live their entire lives in the metaverse. So do you ever watch films like Ready Player One or The Matrix where you just plug yourself in or put on the suit and you're there in the virtual environment, able to look how you wish and do what you want? Tired of that day-to-day grind? Want to travel the world, see amazing things and even transform into an entirely new person? Well, come to these people, you're in luck. Experts believe you'll soon be able to live your whole sad life in the metaverse. The director of consulting for Future Today Institute told the New York Post she believes that a large proportion of people will be in the metaverse in some way by 2030. Whilst many will be using it only for work, she believes that it will play a bigger role for others. In fact, they added that will the uh, will live the majority of their waking lives, jack, uh, waking hours, sorry, jacked in. Um, AI wearables where may, may be as pervasive as smartphones today. Uh, the CEO of 3D software startup Cesium told the Post. He added that he believes that the products like Facebook Oculus headsets might one day completely replace cell phones. Though we're still a way off from that, and even that 2030 prediction is very likely overly ambitious. Metaverse technologies are still woefully archaic, as anyone who's ever worn an Oculus product for more than half an hour can probably attest. So while some companies are jumping onto this metaverse train in a big way, the technology is still fairly unrefined and limited to a relatively small number of use cases like video games and deeply unpopular concerts. It's probably a bit harsh. Um, But they do admit that fully realized metaverse, um, such as Necromancer or Ready Player One, is likely far off into the future, saying that if you're asking when we'll all be running around Neo-like in the Matrix, it's probably a bit further out than 2030. So, Nick, where are you with the with the metaverse? Are you ready to jack in, or do you just want to tell it to jack off? <laughs> did you workshop that one before the I did, show? I did. Was it good or what? <laughs> wow. Uh, look, so, uh, man, this... In the far future, far future, maybe, maybe maybe life will be so abysmal on this planet that we will need a, a permanent form of escapism in the near term. No, not at all. Uh, I, this, this story is uh, an interesting one and I'm really glad both our patrons and the general public chose this story tonight because this is one that we were kind of teasing last week uh, about virtual reality and, and really all this stuff. I am curious on what your thoughts on this article are just, gut check and then i want to talk about what the metaverse actually is before we get into a little bit more deeper discussion yeah i mean i'm just there with kind of what you said like really are we really talking about this right now i can see the appeal to a certain extent you know the we've all watched various films and, and things like that and read books where you you um like say you dock into your to your station and there are you can see a number of advantages um that you know you you can be who you want and and that type of thing but you do have to stop being a teenager at some point um and there is 
this thing human contact i mean there's so many people now especially i think with the with the pandemic um and lockdowns happening that you really now i guess relish or understand or at least appreciate human contact when you haven't been able to see people for so long so i can see more online happening and i can see the the better we can integrate with online getting away from keyboard mice and and having to use screens and stuff that is all brilliant that will enable us to have um a, a greater experience but I can't see us going to that point of living our lives online in the way that this article su suggests because of, well, a whole lot of issues that I dare say we, we're going to get into. So enough about what I think about it. What is the metaverse? What, what do you think? What do you believe the metaverse is? Yeah, let's talk about the metaverse. This is a really ambiguous term when you actually think about what it could be. And I think... I think about the metaverse in the same way that I think about virtual reality, uh, where where virtual reality is uh, traditionally thought of as like you you put these VR goggles on and you're in this uh, 3D computer animated environment. Um, and I I tend to think of it a little bit more broadly than that. Virtual reality is any anything that takes you out of what you're doing and puts you either mentally or physically or metaphysically in a different environment. And so this could be anything as simple as like storytelling to mm -hmm. me, right? You, you are transported to another world when you are reading a book um, and somebody is so vibrant with their words that they're able to paint a picture of what it's like to be there. And if it's in, you know, first person, the book, then you're able to transport yourself into that environment. Um, I, I think, that's a broader version of um, virtual reality. I think when we talk about the metaverse, to me, this is just as ambiguous because you could very easily replace metaverse with internet and yeah. it would largely have the same uh, conceptual basis behind it. I think when we talk about metaverse, I think that the, the broad understanding of it is these virtual spaces in which you are navigating through or or interacting with um, in a 3D environment. So I think that's what people think of when they think of these metaverses, right? You have some sort of virtual avatar and you can go from different environment to different environment and interact with either other people in that environment or other characters in that environment. And, and the purpose of those environments is for a variety of reasons. It could be like, you know, you could be in a mental health space where you are uh, meditating or you could go into a game space where you're actually just playing a video game with your friends or a watching space where you're watching a TV show with others or this, um, you know, if we want to get really immersive, some sort of shared space where there's immersive storytelling happening all around you and, and you're able to uh, witness it from your perspective. And so, there's a lot of things that the metaverse is is meant to encompass or that the current vision of the metaverse encompasses. And I think there are a lot of different issues when we think about actually living in this environment. I want to get your take on the metaverse. What is it to you before we start jumping into some of these concepts? See, th this is where I, I think it's quite interesting because we look at where we're at now and where you, you're right. When we talk about the metaverse, we suddenly we get into automatically assume it's an immersive environment. You're wearing some sort of goggles, or you know, it's it's visual, it's audio, it's um, it's bringing all that together. It is not where you're at now. But then, when I just sort of break down that word meta, it it, it is all about just data or, or added data, um, and when you said it's about you know it's just fundamentally the internet is. Is that kind of it? Because you, you could, on one level, argue that what we're doing right now, you know, we're in two different countries, two different time zones, coming together through the internet to provide a um, almost a, a, a you know a, a visual and audio experience for other people. Um, you know, is that not the metaverse? Well, probably not. Well, no, probably not when, what people's imagination of it would be because we're not wearing goggles, we're not in some sort of hyper-realistic environment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it it does have to include a that the environment thing because that's what the people are led led to believe it is. But I think actually it could be a lot a lot simpler than that um, in in what we're doing. But um, 
yeah, I think, like I say, it, it's ambiguous. I think there's somebody's got to make a lot of money off it fundamentally. Yeah, I think I think you're right. There's 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 a lot of different definitions of the metaverse, and there's a lot of different concepts of what it could be and what it is. But let's talk about some of the human factors issues with being online all the time and specifically with living life in the metaverse and how all this kind of plays into the human factor side of the house. Um, we have this broken down by a couple different categories, physical issues, mental health, social issues, environmental issues, and control issues. Where do we start, Barry? What, what do you want to tackle first? Well, when I was starting to look at the issues around this, it is really interesting when you think about it that you've got to look at um, your, the, the human elements, the human factors of this in two different spaces. So I'm actually taken as, as given that the interface that you interact with, so the the, the that metaverse, the, the visual aspects and the audio, that they're good. I mean, we kind of, they will evolve over time and we know about good usability in that respect to make, thing, make things engage. Though there is still a lot of work to be done in that space. What really gripped me was the idea if we're going to live in that metaverse, how do we, what are the things we need to consider in the real or the physical um, universe, the, uh, our, our everyday living, that we would need to work out a way of existing um, in between the both. So, Start off with, I mean, physical issues. Let, let's, you know, the fundamentals of your body needs to hydrate and it needs to have nutrition and, and exercise and, and things like that. If you're constantly um, plugged in or uh, you've got your um, screens on for a good percentage of the day, even if you're, um, you know, you're wearing it six, seven, eight hours a day for work, and then you you then just taking it off. Well, you're going to be set. You're going to set sit there, and you need to have eaten stuff you need to have drank something so does that mean you we sort of got to have um iv drips does that mean we've got to have a um we, we've got to have um, food fed to us by in liquid form through through medical devices um how do we deal with exercise i mean i'm not the smallest person as it is, as it is. um and i spend try and spend as much time um away from my desk as as, as i can so i'm getting out getting on getting getting some exercise how do we make that um how do we make out make sure that we're getting the exercise so we don't become massively overweight? Though I guess if we're moderating the amount we're eating and drinking because they come in through uh, through lines, then maybe that's a bit easier. But we see it and go back to the, um, the 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 film The Matrix, where they talk. Actually, they hit this in terms of muscle atrophy. If you're not moving around very much, your muscles aren't going to be used. Therefore, you know when you actually come to get up or or you know if you if we need to go live in our, our real world then your muscles are just going to have wasted away. Um, we, we do have some specialism, some skills in that because of what happens when you go into space as well. Um, but fundamentally, toilet breaks. You know, we've got to be able to deal with waste products of, of the body as well. So, I mean, they're just a handful of them them physical issues that we've got to deal with. Um, I don't know, is there, is there something, is there some of the other issues that sort of pop out to you that you uh, you think we should be exploring? Yeah, you. I, I do want to touch briefly. You, you mentioned that we kind of have some of these usability issues ironed down. There are some concerns that we need to think about from that perspective. And this is not one of those categories that we really had uh, initially, but I do want to talk about it briefly. You know, we have um, sort of these usability of issues of like, how do you navigate within these virtual spaces? How do you navigate between within spaces? Is it intuitive enough uh, to kind of point a cursor in that direction and move over in that direction? Or is it, um, are, are we eventually going to hook it up to our brains and, and have our brains control our avatars motion through these environments? So there's a lot of other usability issues that we have to consider with some of these advances in technology. If we truly want to get to sort of this metaverse, uh, immersive experience, feel like we're there type of thing. I don't think we're there yet. I think there's a lot to still um, discover there. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this with the social issues, but then there's also the actual usability of how do you interact with other people? Do you go up to them and type in a space or do you speak out loud? Is there proximity, uh, <clears throat> proximity chat where you can hear others in close proximity to you? Are there ways to mute other people? Are there ways to... Um, sort of enhance some of your friends' volume as they're coming through. So there's a bunch of usability issues with that as well. And those that I just wanted to touch on that because I think we kind of glossed over that, but there are, uh, th those are just a few examples of many, many challenges that will have to be overcome if we truly want to get to the point where we're jacking in a, a plug to our 
brain and and being able to interact with this virtual world, right? Uh, and I know conceptually the metaverse we just talked about it is is not quite there in maturity yet, but I think that's where a lot of people see it going. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, that whole interface to how we plug into it, you know, everybody immediately thinks of the Matrix, where you're going to have this big probe in the back of your head. Um, I mean, the practicalities of such a such an interface. I mean, brain HCI is a is a becoming a growing field at the moment. Um, but I think just the the that element of how do you actually physically? So really, you want to get you want to stop using any sort of peripheral devices. You want just direct uh, direct communications, which is that's that that whoever nails that straight off that will be yeah. the massive game changer. Yeah, we have a couple other categories here. You want to talk about mental health? Yeah, I mean, the mental health of people, is going, this is going to be really um, pros and cons with this to a certain extent, because one one of the things is, well, we could easily disconnect with the reality. Um, and therefore, if you constantly are in in the metaverse and you that, that means that you're curating um, your own version of reality at any one time, because you'll only talk to the people you want to talk to, you'll only see what you want to see. And therefore, you don't get challenged and therefore will you be as um where will your mental health robustness be where will it come from but by the same token um all those things that almost depress us in real life um you know everything from um uh, physical appearance to what you what you look like um i mean one of the um issues that that have come out around sort of facebook and instagram and things like that is the, the drive, particularly for um, young women, to look certain ways. And actually, this is where one, one of these things could, could help, because along that idea, rather than having to apply filters all the time, you're going to have your own avatar. And that avatar can be whatever it is that you want it to be. So you can be who you want to be, more so than who you are. So this could work in really two ways. I just worry that, um, that there will be a disconnect between your true mental state and your projected mental state. Your identity, uh, and I—I I mean, this yeah. is happening now. This is happening now with people who catfish other people. Yeah. They are—they are, in some cases, embodying these other profiles on on dating websites that that they feel more accurately represents who they are as a person, and they're using that as a way to connect with other individuals mm. uh, to, to kind of bypass the the physical attraction that happens between two people. Um, or or to hack it in a way, so that way they kind of get in to to have a conversation with them, and it's incredibly it can be incredibly destructive in in some cases, uh, and and that is something that we'll have to consider moving into this you know <laughs> virtual environment, this this metaverse, where yeah, the way that we interact with others is is going to be very different because I think in some in some ways when we interact with people here now in reality we have sort of an intuition around whether or not that person is being truthful or dishonest and this this is a lot of different psychological factors that go into this like like uh like body language or um oh, you're writing it in the notes now <laughs> <laughs> i mean we could we could jump into social issues too uh let, let's do it because we're talking about it right I, i'm talking yeah. about catfish let's talk about the social issues and how these relationships that you're having with other people are they real i don't know it, it, you'll have to kind of approach this virtual metaverse with the lens of i can't trust anybody who i'm talking to and i can't know for sure who i'm talking to but if everyone's jacked into the metaverse and everyone's living there then is it is it then then how do you deal with these these uh um these differences in identity where do you even have a physical identity at that point or are you just existing online this is this is a really complex um thing to think about and, and the way that we interact as humans is going to be fundamentally different in a virtual space than it would be in a physical space because we won't have all those biological markers that we have in, in real space, right? We, we won't see somebody else sweating when they're lying. We won't see their eyes shifting in different directions. We won't see them fidgeting. All this stuff is hidden in a virtual environment. And so that's a lot that we have to consider. I, I, I mentioned that in terms of body language, right? Um, people gesticulate with their hands while they're talking. I'm, you know, Exhibit A. I'm I'm over here <laughs> gesticulating with my hands. 
Uh, and, and so I think in terms of how we interact with people, there's going to be a, a difference. There's also um, sort, sort of the ability to be connected with others in a, in a way and at a scale that we as humans are not built to do, right? And I think we're already seeing this with stuff like social media. We are connecting with others at a scale uh, that we were not biologically evolved to do. Um, I, I can send out a tweet from the Human Factors Cast uh, Twitter, and, and it will reach many people. And it's it's kind of crazy to think about that we didn't have that type of um, environment as, as we were evolving as humans. And so that's a whole other world in which we have to consider is how do we communicate at scale? It's still something that we have to figure out. And how do we sort of interact with people at scale? Uh, was there anything else from that social issues that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, I guess the, I mean, the, just to f um, expand on, on a couple of bits, the, you know, when we interact with people, you know, we, we sort of maybe picked up on some negative bits, but it's the, you know, when we've, one of the things I found during the, the pandemic is we, I give a lot of presentations and stuff online now. And if you, if I give a live presentation, if you give a live um, presentation in front of a room, you can read the room. Um, right. you, you know, whether people are taking things in, you know, they're either nodding along with you or the, the frowning and the, the, you maybe take that as a, as a cue, maybe you haven't got your point over quite right, or you can skip over some stuff or, or that type of thing. You just can't get that when you're presenting just to a, a screen. Um, you know, if you're, if you've got, you know, pe people with their, their cameras, they're all switched off and all you're doing is presenting to a bunch of letters. Um, you don't get the same sort of feedback, um, loop that, that you had. But also, I guess there's them. The, uh, I mean, catfish is really is a really good example as well because actually, we how do we build, you know, romantic relationships in in the metaverse that that are real and, and meaningful. Um, I mean, actually, I, I watched my, one of my first episodes of um, Catfish the other day, and um, that, well, that that was a, an eye opening experience. And that surely this, you know, this idea of the metaverse is is just going to make that potentially more prevalent. Um, but then is the relationship false if it works in your head and you know you never got if you never meet that or that other person on the other side is that relationship demeaned in any way if it's not if it isn't truly what you think it is but as long as you know as long as it is to you what you think it is right that's a deeper, I, that's a deeper question i think this is this is a great kind of uh segue to a question that we got in the chat here from derica do you feel that this would fall into a separate sector for human factors professionals i think there's a lot of underlying psychological issues here that we have to consider but do you think this is is this falls into a separate sector for human factors professionals or do you think it falls under that vr umbrella i think i don't think it necessarily falls into a separate category a separate sector i do think that there is scope in the short term for it to be its own sector its own beast because it's going to be so novel it's going to be it's going to have such a coalescing of issues that actually we need to be able to address them all with a um you know but a, a real focus on it but actually all of the issues that um that will come up and not you know uh, a lot of the attributes that we need to deal with from usability to environmental to social to mental to physical we already do that as part as, as hr professionals already um in the in the different sectors that we have um and in the different competencies but i think there is a there's definitely an angle of having a focus whilst the whilst it matures um whilst it, if you still consider it in, in its infancy then um can we you know we, we should probably have a good laser-like focus on it to make sure that uh that we're at the forefront of, of what's going on with it yeah i think i think from kind of an initial perspective i think this is kind of a stem out of the virtual environments if you're looking at like hfes they have a they have a technical group uh focused on virtual environments i think this could be a good segue from that, uh, mm -hmm. maybe where the seminal research will stem from. But I, I tend to agree with you, Barry, that if if this does truly become more prevalent, um, this this might just live under that virtual environments umbrella. Maybe that umbrella gets bigger and we try to figure out uh, how to do all these interaction with with all these different um, you know social issues, environmental issues, control issues, all this stuff. I think there are different technical groups or subsections, sub 
uh, proficiencies of human factors that already contribute a lot to this. And if we're really if we're really talking about an, an Earth 2.0 or like a uh, a separate environment in which we engage in, I, I don't know if it really makes sense to do that. It could. It could. But I just, I just don't know. I think we're still so far in the infancy that I can't see that far out. Um, that's a that's a great question. Thank you for that one. I really appreciate that. Uh, let, let's get into some of these environmental issues. Um, do you want to talk about this one since I took social issues? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, the environmental really is about, you know, on, on a day-to-day basis, we interact with our physical environment. Um, we, you know, we, we, we touch it, we taste it and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the environment thrives or otherwise because of our interaction with it. How does that, how, what happens to the environment when we spend all of our time inside of a virtual environment? What happens to our real physical environment? Um, a on the on the face of it, we neglect, um, you know, that day, the day to day responsibility for for our physical environment, but also that the virtual environment requires a certain amount of uh, physical attributes for it to uh, for it to run. So just to generate the power to, if everybody's um, hooked into the metaverse, that's going to require a you know certain amount of you know basic needs electrical production. Uh, where's all that going to come from if everybody's jacked into the um, into the metaverse? So there's it's that symbiotic or lack of symbiotic relationship with the real environment that I think we're going to have to um, um, we're going to have to look at. Um, that could be interesting, and I don't know. I don't know quite what that is. I think it's just an issue that we need to be aware of. Here's, here's what we do: we just get to a point where we can control robots in the physical environment with our virtual selves, and then we can just kind of build stuff up around us while we're all plugged in, right? And that also, sorry, not to get back to social issues, but that also poses another problem for humankind. If we're all in in this metaverse, how do we how how do we reproduce and keep the human population stable? Yeah, Um, that is also another issue that would have to be looked at. Back to the Matrix. Yeah, Um, Yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a real fundamental issue with 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 all of this as well, which is who controls it? Who's You know, let, let's talk about uh, like democracy. Let's talk about um, you know world power, world control. Because if everybody's into the in this metaverse, um, who's fundamentally running the metaverse? Who has responsibility for it? How how does demo how does democracy represent itself in a metaverse? Is it right that one company, one or a, a small handful of companies own not only the data that you're putting into it and reacting with it, but the fundamental principles behind it and can control what's because you basically, they would literally have godlike control of your life, of your working environments, of your, you know, all that sort of stuff and could make it all end with in literally a keystroke. So yeah. where, do, where does democracy apply to, to this? Um, where's your, your, your privacy rights? Um, and how do we stop abuse of power? I mean, it's hard enough to stop to stop abuse of power in the in the physical world at the moment. Never mind a um, a, a, a metaverse. Um, I just see a whole load of physical um, uh, physical controls, a, lot, a whole lot of uh, political issues that would really should come front and center with this and ask the so what question. Yeah, th- this is a good this is a good point, and I think. Right now, you know, there's there's definitely one uh, company who has a very strong vision on this. Uh, <laughs> but I think generally the way in which the metaverse has to come out and sort of evolve, I think, has to be natural. And I think it has to be a, a, a contribution from many different uh, sources for this very reason. Right. And, and everything needs to be able to play nice together from a technology and infrastructure standpoint to the point where we are making sure that humans come first, that those privacy concerns are checked at the door. We say, hey, you're entering this new space and here's everything that we need from you. We need biological data. We need, you know, all the stuff that could potentially be read into the environment. And so we want to make sure that that is salient as human factors professionals. We want to make sure that that information is salient and communicated effectively and that the people who are uh, interacting with those spaces, understand who's in control and who has um, sort of admin privileges of being able to uh, kick you out of that environment or or restrict your access to the stuff. 
democracy is is an interesting one um, because we're thinking from it from a, a Western perspective, and mm-hmm. a, a democracies might not work for every culture, and so yeah. that's another thing that you have to think of is like what what type of governments do exist in these environments? Are they truly democratic, or are they you know uh, some sort of um, communist state where you have one person that dictates everything? Right? I, I don't I don't know. It's it's a question that needs to be explored in that space, and maybe it's a way for people to almost remove themselves from geographical borders. Mm-hmm. That might be an interesting case study where maybe you have somebody that's living in one country that's jacked into the metaverse, but then they're kind of living within the political structure of another digitally. It's 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 a whole complicated thing that needs to be thought out. Yeah, I think I think these are all really interesting points and definitely um some of these human factors issues that we really need to iron out before we get to that point where we are living in the metaverse. Yes. Uh, so you realize afterwards, Oh, we should have really thought about that one. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I see this as kind of following the same trajectory as um, a facial recognition where it's like, we can do this. Uh, should we do this? Uh, we should probably yeah. should have thought about this before we did this. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, we're kind of following that same trajectory and it's, that's why it's so important to include human factors uh, mm-hmm. in into these stages at, at the early early stages of design um especially for these almost life changing or or societal changing uh technologies uh you have a point here about our experience with uh, the vr and the metaverses do we want to talk about that at all yeah i guess the, it's just to highlight that um that this idea of a metaverse isn't new as such or certainly vr environments um isn't new um you know Anybody's had to go on the Oculus Quest or Oculus Rift as uh, as the only bit um, I've got not the Oculus Quest too, um, and I think it's it's quite good fun when I remember to use it. Um, sometimes it can sit on the side for ages before I'm like, oh, actually, I enjoy using that. Um, Beat Saber is one of my favourite games, um, but then you know I've I've played with some other bits that that are really interesting. But then our Second Life was supposed to be the big thing it was going to be that everyone's doing um, concerts in second life. Uh, the BBC was doing, uh, in the UK would, was doing, um, you know, big things in, in second life. And it was going to be the, uh, that, that amazing thing. And it didn't, it wasn't, it was large. I wasn't that never really that impressed, but then Minecraft at the moment, uh, you know, a good eight bit representation of, um, of, of, of an environment that, kids like to play in and you know i like playing in there as well it's it, it's good it's simple you can do you can do what you think is that a metaverse in its own right um you also have fortnite still... fortnite too yeah, you got, yeah, right because they're having they're having the virtual conferences they're having these um these other events right like they showed the first trailer for episode nine uh for the first time in an interactive form in fortnite mm-hmm. and they have all these different characters in it so it, it that is kind of what i think of the closest thing to our idea of the metaverse right now. Um, and then of course you have Facebook and and they're trying to make their, sorry, meta, uh, formerly Facebook, trying to put their uh, spin on it too. Um, this last point, I'm glad you put in virtual conferences. <laughs> it, yeah, it, just it's, go, go and spin back to one of our, uh, one of the previous episodes where we, where we talked about virtual conferences at length. Um, yeah. But then, oh, I mean, yeah, quite good that. Um, but fundamentally, I mean, what you know, we well, I guess one of the ones that I'd pull out would be the uh, the neuro ergonomics conference that they had their their representation. It was probably the closest meta uh, uh, meta experience that you would have. Uh, we're doing that because it included a lot more. Um, it wasn't just watching presentations; it was much more about the interaction and stuff. So, yeah, we kind of get in there. Is, is there another any any of the other VR environments that? that stand out to you that we maybe haven't mentioned that uh, that you feel uh, worthy of a, of, of a name check? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, there, there's plenty of um, disparate virtual reality experiences that you've had, but I think to me that the main difference is going to be having everything connected and being able to mm-hmm. jump seamlessly from one to another in a way that uh, makes sense, feels good, uh, feels intuitive, and... Um, addresses all these issues that we talked about. So with that said, uh, let's let's kind of revisit the question here or, or the sort of thesis of this article 
uh, that we're citing here from Futurism. The experts are saying that someday people will live in the metaverse their entire life. Barry, do you think this is the case after we've talked about all these human factors issues that need to be resolved? Do you think, do you think? No, no, I think, I think that, I think that we will end up spending, um, I think that our interaction with the internet, our interaction with, um, each other over, over the, the digital stream will change. It will adapt. It will become more seamless that we will step into an environment and, and that will work. Um, I think it, the usability of it will become a lot, a lot more fluid. You, you will, it will become much easier to do, but I still think we will have our online and our offline lives. I think there is whilst in the short term or in the, as it gets more mature and, and there's a novel still, but still the novelty factor there, I think we'll, you know, we will spend a, a chunk of time online, but overall, um, after say maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, um, we will then find a right a balance between the online and the offline. What about you? What, what do you think? Do you see yourself being plugged in all of the time and not having to come up for air? Not in my lifetime. Hundreds of years from now, maybe, right? When we mm. figured out all these other issues to where we don't really necessarily have to be a physical entity anymore. Maybe we just at birth download our brains to the metaverse and then um you know our bodies die off but we live virtually one interesting i if just had a brain thought it doesn't happen often so i want to make sure it's recorded for posterity <laughs> is we've talked in the past about um you know going to mars and going to different planets and stuff would the metaverse be the answer for how we still communicate over them very large space uh very, you know very large distances um and the way to you know if you've got you've actually got family who's went off to mars and, and that type of thing is this the way that we would actually make sure that families stay together oh that's a good question i think we'd have to solve the issue of the time delay right if we can get quantum computing down where that's you know true. um a change happens in real time across a distance that's you know we're getting into physics here but uh a change happens near simultaneously across vast dis distances then i think I think that we can get there, but that's that's a physics problem, and we're human factors cast. So let's <laughs> let's move on. Uh, <laughs> well, huge thank you to our patrons and the general public this week uh, for our topic, and thank you to our friends over at Futurism for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles on our weekly roundups on our blog. You can also join us on our Slack or Discord for more discussion on these stories. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons, especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff patron, Michelle Tripp. Uh, you know, one thing that we don't do very often here in this little, uh, I, I don't even, I, I hesitate to even call it an advertisement. It is a public service announcement that this is a free service for you all. Um, we have a merch store. Uh, we have some neat designs over there that includes uh, It Depends t-shirts. It's almost like I planned this and I, di I did not. <laughs> I, I swear I did not. Um, yeah, we have the It Depends t-shirts. Uh, we have a show logo. Uh, I, I have a hoodie somewhere with it on it. Uh, other cool designs based on Human Factors culture. Like I'm going to Human Factors the shit out of this. You know, And other fun things that you can get to uh, both support the show and uh, look good doing it. So there you go, Treasurer. I said something other than Patreon. But yes, we do want to thank all our patrons. Uh, patrons and people who buy our merch keep the show running so thank you all so much for your continued support uh we're gonna go ahead and switch gears and get into this next part of the show we like to call it came from it came from 
Yes, once again, uh, this is the part of the show where we get into everything uh, that the internet, the metaverse, if you will, br- uh, topics that they bring us, right? And and uh, you know what? If you find these answers useful, no matter where you're watching, just give us a like, help other people find this content. It's really helpful. Um, we have three tonight. The first one up here is is going to be from the Discord. This is the second week in a row. We've had a really good question from the Discord, so I want to make sure that we get to this one. This is by Deep Sea Hippo, and they, they write, What are y'all's opinions on attending an accredited versus not accredited master's HFES program? Barry, I'm going to pass this over to you because you are somebody who attended uh, <laughs> not graduate school, and so... Um, or, or you don't have that experience. Uh, yeah. and, and so what is your experience maybe hiring others that have been to an accredited uh, institution versus not? Does it matter? Yes. Yeah, so it was interesting because when I did my, um, when I did my uh, bachelor's degree, it was in engineering. It wasn't in, in human factors. And it was a, it wasn't a, a course that was accredited by the Institute I wanted to get chartered by. So, I it basically meant that when I come to do my chartership, I had to do you know jump through a whole lot of hoops, and really that's fundamentally what it boils down to for me is if you're going to go certainly in the um, in the UK we would talk about the CIHF accredited um, uh, degree, and if you want to go on and, and get your full membership membership for the CIHF, now I'm, I'm assuming HFES is is similar, um, but particularly if you want to get your full membership or you want to and you want to get your chartership uh, which you can get in the UK, then having the accredited degree makes your life a bit easier later on because it, the, it means that the Institute knows what the, uh, the components of that degree was. Um, but fundamentally later on, um, it really doesn't matter as much. I think if you, if you, as an employer, if I know that you've come from a, um, you've got a human factors degree and does it matter if, if it's been a CHF accredited one or an HFES accredited one, it's 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 useful, but it's not the be all and end all. I think, um, yeah, he, he's waving around his it depends T shirt, but um, but it kind of does. It's it, I don't think it makes a difference for jobs. I'll say that because we would talk to you anyway, and it's really about what you do and what you've done, not necessarily just the nature of your degree. I think it's about where you want to go uh, with your professional qualifications. That it could have it could make life a bit easier for you, uh, um, but it actually. In the grand scheme of things, if you want to get to a certain level, it, it's not going to block off any options for you. It might just just mean you have to do a bit more, bit, bit more work further down the line. Yeah, I echo that sentiment. I think from the HFES side, uh, you're you're right. Where if they are accredited, then they do have a certain rigor or certain standards uh, associated with them, and so there is sort of a mutual understanding of, of what you've been through, what you've studied and where you're coming from. I think you're absolutely right there. It doesn't necessarily matter long-term. I think experience is going to have a bigger role in that. And ultimately your specialty is going to play the biggest role in where you go. And so if, if there's a program that makes more sense because it's more focused on your specialty and less on human factors and do that, uh, I think there are some other benefits to having a program that's accredited. Let's say if you wanted to work your way up the organizational hierarchy ladder, um, you can certainly start at a, an accredited institution by becoming like a, a, a lower, um, uh, starting at a lower position, like a note taker, official note taker of the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society uh, your university division or whatever it is. Right. And, and then you slowly work your way up. Oh, president of that division. And then you can use that to kind of, um, leverage yourself into the professional environment. And there are tons of opportunities for networking events and, uh, other get togethers that happen at these conferences that I think are another kind of unspoken resource available to, to being able to, um, I guess, integrate with others from that community. So it just makes the friction, it makes it less, it makes it not frictionless, but there's less friction with trying to integrate into the society at large. If you want HFES to be your home, um, you know, other people call other um, conferences and organizations home. But for us human factors practitioners, right, HFES, Chartered Institute, I think those ones are the ones that are, are typically 
um, looked at IEA, uh, you know, from those perspectives, you want to, you want to look at those, right. Get, get your foot in the door there. I think that's kind of the biggest benefit to doing uh, an accredited versus not accredited program. But ultimately I am going to point to my shirt again. It does depend on sort of what your trajectory is for your path. If you want to study something that's very specific, that's outside of that accreditation, don't rule it out because you can always become a member of that society. And it's not like they're going to look down on you for going to an institution that wasn't HFES accredited. It's just, it's a different set of coursework. Um, Most people won't know to be fair. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. All right. Uh, getting on to this next one here. This one's by Jack, Jack, Jack on the user experience subreddit. Uh, staff designers is the name, but this is more question about uh, role titles. So let's get into it. Is retaining your title important to you in your next role? So um, they go on to write staff slash UX slash staff UX slash product designer is a relatively new title. Many companies don't seem to have paths flushed out beyond senior. Um, are, are you accepting other offers with different job titles so long as the pay is comparable or looking at specific roles, even if it limits the number of organizations or companies that you can apply to? So let's talk about job titles, Barry. Is that important to you? No. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it, it's different now. I mean, I was reflecting on this the other day because um, when I was in a larger organization, then, like, yes, I did the whole, I joined as a... I think it was a, a senior um, and then worked up to, what was that, junior, then senior, then a principal, then a senior principal um, before, you know, and, and it was important to me at that point to know that I was working up, up a ladder. And then you look at principal and but and you sort of think principal in one, one organization is the same as principal in another, though actually it probably isn't. Right. Um, they're probably a different set of standards. It's just, it's just a title at the end of the day. And then I... Um, obviously launched my own company and actually my um, title now, yeah, okay, I'm a managing director, but I'm also chief cook, bottle washer. Um, you know, it's almost everything going. The, the supreme title, leader. Supreme leader and and the person who cleans up after everybody. Um, so, you know, it's, I'm now, I don't care about the, about my job title because, um, because my my perspective has changed, and I, I've noticed that with a lot of sort of freelancers as well. If you're one man band contracting, then actually the the title to them doesn't really matter as much as long as you know they're doing the work that they enjoy and 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 the pay is right um, for them on on that period. So I think it going from job to job, I don't think it should matter too much. But it, I guess it if you're if you're in the going you know trying to work up a work up a company, work up your career that way then yes, I could see that it would have an importance to you. Um, but I don't think it's important outside of it. When you take, if you took a step back, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, it could help you with sort of advancing to a higher position somewhere else. But talk about what you do, not about what you're labeled as. And I, I tend to agree that labels are just that. They're, they're our best approximation of what a job encapsulates and it doesn't always do a good job of doing that. Um, and again, they're not standardized across companies. So talk about what you do or, or what you've done and don't talk about the label. That's that's yeah, that, I have nothing else to add. Last one here. Uh, this is by Caleb Colorado on the human factor subreddit. <clears throat> this is uh, desperate for help with a statement of purpose. Hi, everyone. The time has come and I'm beginning to wrap up all my graduate school applications for Human Factors Master's programs. The whole application process has been smooth for me. Good for you. Uh, with the exception of writing my statement of purpose, arguably the most important part of my ap application. While I do have a rough draft workout, I really don't think it's very good. I've never had to write a statement of purpose before. And honestly, I'm not even sure what a good statement of purpose even looks or sounds like. Um, let's see here. Uh Basically, Barry, I want to use this as a springboard here to talk about statements of purposes and what they mean and what they look like. Have you written one of these? Yeah, I've not written them in the graduate school application piece. I cheated to a certain extent and because I was in the military at the time, I had the choice of one university, so I didn't really have to apply. I just rocked up and said, well, hey, I'm here. Um, slightly more than that, but that was basically it. But when I'm, you know, it's it's not, 
too dissimilar to your opening statement on your CV or your covering letter on a, on a job application. It's all about, for me, is um, be honest with yourself and with what you're doing. So what is it you're wanting to get out of? Um, what is it you're wanting to get out of life fundamentally? Um, and this is where I think it's get, getting interesting because what I would have written at sort of 18 um, to what I would write now is is different. I mean, I have, I, I'm lying actually, because I did write a statement, statement of purpose of, a couple of years ago when I was toying around with the idea of, um, of, of a PhD. And the, just the ability to sort of sit there and say, look, this is kind of where I could be very, very honest and say, look, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do, which is not what I would have written at 18, which at 18, you would more write about what you think they want to read as opposed to now what it is you, you know, what what you want to write because and fundamentally you I would like to go down the latter route because as somebody who would re read these things um you want to know you want to get an insight into the person you want to get an insight into what are their hopes dreams that type of thing to see if they marry up with your business your course your organization and if they're very honest and and you realize that it doesn't it isn't going to work you could actually cut out a lot of pain right there and then for both sides do them a favor yeah, I mean, you, you want to go, you want to go and build uh, rockets and go go to the moon. Well, I'm sorry, but I I'm, I'm, I do drilling. Um, you know, the, you're not going to go, the, you're not going to go to the moon by coming to join my business. But I could probably point you in the right direction of somebody who could. Um, yeah, so I, I think that. I mean, I think be honest with yourself um, is so important with these things. What about you? You've had more experience yeah. in doing these things than I have. Uh, look, I, I wrote one. Uh, for my graduate applications, I, I again, I, I echo your sentiment. I would have done things very different today than I would have then because I did exactly what you said. I wrote it in from the perspective of like, oh, I'm writing this for what they want to hear. Um, and it wasn't totally, it wasn't untruthful. It was just a flowery version of what I wanted. And really, it's hard to know when you're just starting your sort of experience um, like human factors was a completely not different, but it was, it was, I was in psychology in my undergrad. And so I was writing it from like a, I have no idea what human factors is, um, perspective. And it. Oh, Andy's stalled right there. It looks like his camp. The fact that he hadn't, oh, is he back? Oh, I'm, I'm probably back. Uh, oh, anyway, back. You, you the point here, us. sorry. The point is that, um, I was applying to different things and, uh, I was writing it to be generic and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And that was probably the biggest piece of advice is maybe iron out what you want to do exactly. Um, because that might have better, although, you know, leave yourself open. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Statement of purpose is hard. So I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. All right. Well, let's get into this next part of the show. Needs no introduction. It's just one more thing. Uh, let's see here. So, Barry, what is your one more thing this week? So, I had a really cool experience uh, today, and which was kind of fits into the metaverse thing because I did a present. You know, I've been doing this work around climate ergonomics, which I've mentioned before. Um, but I presented to ergonomists and human factors practitioners in Iran. And what a fantastic experience of being able to present to um, around 200 practitioners and through, you know, using the uh, wonders of the internet to make that happen. Um, what was fascinating for me, though, was I'm really rubbish at engaging with other languages. I'm trying to learn Welsh at the moment, but my ability to pick up other languages is, is terrible. And it, I am appalled with myself. These are all people who their first language is Persian. And they were taking on board what I was saying. And, you know, I was talking for a good hour and a half to two hours worth. And and they were firing me questions and all this sort of stuff. And I, I was just like, I was completely blown away, A, by their enthusiasm, and B, the ability to comprehend um, what was going on in a foreign language um, with so, just so many of them. It, it was an incredible experience. And then since that, they've invited me to their um, WhatsApp groups and this, that, and the other. And they're all taking the time out because they're all um, writing in Persian. But then um, when I sort of jumped in, they're all start switched to English and they're welcoming in English. And I was, I was completely blown away by the whole thing and the way um, how welcoming they made me feel. So it was a brilliant experience today. That's good. I'm glad you had a brilliant experience. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a play out of the Barry playbook here. 
uh, and do a two more things because I have I have two, I guess, exciting updates here. So first off, uh, I, I'm Thanos over here and I'm collecting uh, my infinity gauntlet of health improvements. So if you're following the show, I've been making marginal improvements. I think, um, you know, I mentioned my mental health on on a couple episodes ago. Physical health, I'm seeing a chiropractor now, physical therapy. So the musculoskeletal side of things is getting taken care of. I went to the doctor for um, the my physical health for the first time in a couple years today. Had a dental appointment yesterday. And last week I had a vision. Uh, I got new glasses. And so I feel like, you know, I just need to snap and I'm getting myself on the right trajectory, turning the ship around. So by the time I'm 60, uh, it's, it's not, <laughs> I'm not underwater. <laughs> the second thing, um, anyway, that, that, that whole said to just treat yourself, um, do, do yourself a favor and just get a good team of people around you to help you with some of these things that maybe you're not, um, taking note of like, like myself. Second thing, I have a bed story. Do you want to hear the bed story? Oh, go on then. Okay, the bed story. So, uh, so as a um, a Christmas gift to uh, myself and my wife, we said, okay, no, no gifts this year. Uh, what we're doing is we're buying a bed instead because we've had this this other bed for seven years, and um, you know, we we uh, I guess on we were expecting the delivery on Friday, last Friday, so right after the show, right. And then we got the message. It was delayed. Okay, well, that's fine. We were expecting to do everything on Saturday. So the new bed included a new frame, a new headboard, two side tables, um, a new mattress, a new pillow, you know, the whole everything. We wanted to upgrade our sleep. And um, so that Saturday, last Saturday, we took apart the old frame and looked under the bed. There was black mold. So we got, okay, we got to throw this thing out right now. Um, And then we get a message saying, Oh, your mattress is delayed. So, oh. so that night I was like, okay, you know, I don't want to deal with it. We're going to go sleep um, at a hotel and then hopefully it'll be here tomorrow. It wasn't there tomorrow. So we slept on an air mattress here. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't here the following day. So we slept on an air mattress for two nights, a, uh, a hotel for one night, but the bed is here. Everything's all set up. It's wonderful. And um, we're very happy we did it. So it's very comfortable. And that's my one more thing this week. Yay. Well, that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion around virtual reality, uh, I'll encourage you all to go listen to episode 216. That's where we talk about how virtual reality could be the key to learning. You'll have to go listen to the episode to see if it is. Uh, Comment wherever you're listening on what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Slack or Discord communities. And uh, you can visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, leave us a five-star review. That's free for you to do. Two, you can tell your friends uh, about us. That is also free for you to do. And if you want to throw money at us, you can always support us on Patreon um, or buy our merch. That's something you can do, too. (laughs) As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to learn about Arabic? Yeah, if you want to find out about more about what we've been doing, then you can look at uh, my Twitter, which is at Baz underscore K, or listen to uh, my interviews on my podcast, which is 1202 The Human Factors Podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me uh, sometimes on Twitch for office hours and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory. 
because it's more than just common sense.